Well, hello! Welcome to episode... what is it, four now? Yes, episode four of our American Revolutions podcast. First, let me preface by saying that I own guinea pigs, so you may hear random squeaking, shuffling, or sheer chaos behind me. Let that not distract you from the lesson we're about to go through. Today, I'm here to talk over parts one and two of the Jill Lepore book, Book of Ages, The Life and Opinions of Jane Franklin. Quite an interesting read it was, a quick context to how the book was set up. The book is set up narrating the Franklin family working through the Franklin genealogy, recording corporate words from mainly Jane Franklin Meckham and Benjamin Franklin, but also others, to display genuine representation of the feelings present as the historic events took place. The direct quotes also show how literacy was a sought-after skill for men, and how women most often lacked literary finesse. This did not stop Jane, often referred to as Jenny, from pursuing her literacy as she could, even while pregnant or nursing non-stop from the time she was 16 into her mid to late 30s. With the context established, I vote we begin the podcast. Off to a booming start. Let's start with the family. Part one of the book, titled Jane, was a way to introduce the Franklin family. Though, it took Lepore 18 pages to introduce the, what we will call, protagonist of the story, Jane Franklin. Prior to her introduction, Lepore produced an overview of some further back Franklin ancestry, even enough to before Franklin had its permanent and iconic spelling. Lepore used this ancestral anecdote to signify the importance of recording familial births and deaths. For at the time, the 18th century, there was little official record of who lived. So many children that were born did not blossom into adulthood, and were lost from history because their family kept no record of it. In defiance to the expected rates of child mortality, Benjamin and Jane's parents, Abiah and Josiah Franklin, produced eight successful childbirths. The youngest, Benjamin, the youngest son, Benjamin Franklin, and the youngest daughter and child born to them was Jane in 1712. The importance of this child mortality rate will come back later in the podcast, but for now, let's continue. Raising a family in the 18th century often did not mean enrolling your children in school. Preschool and kindergarten were not the path for most 18th century children. Though men did learn to read and write, women usually only learned how to read. In the 18th century, all American citizens really needed to know how to read, at least somewhat. Men, however, were the writers, and at the time that made sense, because men oversaw business. They handled property management and household finances. Now, just because men handled business did not mean there were many male scholars. Female scholars were very few and far between, but the same could be said for men, as we'll discuss later during the podcast. Women of the 18th century just had no motive or support to learn writing. 
Women were taught in home the skills they would need to survive. Sewing, cooking, cleaning, and soap making, the same way that Jane Franklin learned from her family in their family soap recipe and other household chores. There were some proposals for women's education. Men proposed it suggested that women attend schools to better learn how to run a home, while the men attended schools to progress their academics. But women also proposed women's education and that they should learn literacy and academics equal to men. Both forms of these proposals were denied, and many people found the proposals humorous and had a good laugh. The notion of providing women with a decent education was no more. Jane Franklin, however, was an exception. She was not an exception because she had access to school and proper education. Not even Benjamin, her older brother, could attend school. She was an exception because Benny, as she called him, taught her all he knew until the day he left home. Both were avid readers at home. They had little material to read, but as children, they relied on their father's limited library to teach them the skills that they would need to read and write. Benjamin Franklin sought to attend school, but it was not a realistic, realistic view from his father, Abiah, to send him. It seemed more practical to Abiah to send Benny to start an apprenticeship. And Abiah did just so. From that moment, Benjamin Franklin left home to apprentice under his older brother James in a printing shop. From that moment, Jane Franklin lost her primary literary teacher. Franklin did as most men did, however, he, this did not stop his drive to learn. Under his brother James, Franklin had the opportunity to read and write controversial works that went into the printed title, The Quran. That was the newspaper Benny's older brother James produced at his print shop. It was often very difficult for newspapers like the Quran to run in the 18th century colonies without a blessing from the government. So much so that many newspapers ended up shut down. The same was true for James Franklin's. It was a paper that was open to anyone who would like to speak their mind and had the ability to put it down on paper. The key word here was anyone. Benjamin Franklin, though denied by his brother the chance to write for the paper, did so in private under the pen name Silence Do Good. The paper displeased the government so that James was ordered to stop printing. He did so accordingly, but in the act of stopping, he offered the shop to Benjamin so it may continue under a different name and a different owner and produce legally the same documents. Fearful of the situation, Franklin fled the scene and lost his father's blessing and traveled transatlantic, traveled transatlantically to London. He sought credit, capital, and means to produce his own printing shop, but he was left with nothing. Stuck in London, he worked for two years to raise money for his own printing shop, which he started in Philadelphia. Franklin began his ascent of classes, a remarkable feat for a person of the 18th century. Rise above his class was almost unheard of for any man or woman at the time. Most were stuck in their positions for their lives. Women had no opportunities to raise funds on their own. And this was just the beginning of Benjamin Franklin's ascent, and now he would truly impact the history of the American colonies.
two of a report book titled Her Book covers years 1727 to 1757. The words her book refer to a book Jane Franklin Meckham, now married, wrote as a record of births and deaths of her family. As mentioned earlier, official records of who was born and who died were rare in the 18th century. So it was books like Jane Franklin Meckham's that kept historic record that we rely on to know who was alive and who was not during these past times. House kept records, like Jane Franklin Meckham's now married Book of Ages, were not uncommon in the 18th century. In these books, her and her husband's and her child's births were recorded. Unfortunately, her first child died at only one year old, so she was able to record it in her Book of Ages. He died on May 18th, 1730. Only one year after Jane's loss, Benjamin Franklin made a large move for American history. He opened the first lending library, the Library Company of Philadelphia. In 1733, Benjamin sent a second library, a book titled The Ladies' Library, to Jane as her 21st birthday gift. Benjamin Franklin made another large economic move between 1739 and 1747. He purchased used rags for his wife, Deborah, to turn into paper. He sold 166,000 pounds of rags between these years. As Lepore refers to it, he went from rags to riches, while Jane Franklin went from rags to rags. Now we can begin to move somewhat away from the Franklin family and more to colonial history regarding paper money, credit, and debt. The first use of IOUs dates back to 1610s, where debt and credit appear to start in the paper form. The first Western paper money occurred in Boston in 1690. In Philadelphia, the first paper money was used in 1723, though it was not widely trusted nor accepted until 1729. And in that year, 1729, Franklin began producing paper bills. Between 1729 and 47, Franklin printed 800,000 paper bills. However, Creating these paper bills seemed to create a problem for the economy. In 1712, the average daily wage could buy 15 pounds of butter. In 1739, the average daily wage could only buy seven. That is half the butter. Now that raises the question, is money worth less because of inflation? Are people being paid less? Or is the value of butter rising drastically, nearly doubling. I would assume the first. And maybe that people are being paid less? 
though I don't know much about how the value of butter changes over time. Having such an increase in debt and credit meant that there needed to be laws in place to regulate how debt would be handled. 1641, a Massachusetts law, Body and Liberties, stated that a man was free unless he couldn't pay his debt, then he was imprisoned. The idea was, as long as a man could pay his debt, he was a free man. But the thought of imprisonment meant that he would be imprisoned and his family would be forced to pay his debt, releasing him. Printed money meant that this debt accumulation increased because many people were spending money that they did not have. Now, Benjamin Franklin did not seem to have this problem. In 1737, he was appointed postmaster of Philadelphia, and this meant his newspaper became very profitable. He was also said to have made much money from printing money and from selling paper which his wife fashioned from rags. Jane and her husband William, however, faced debt as a great problem. Her husband William had accumulated many debts for many people, and because of this, debt collectors came and stole, well, not stole, but claimed their property as a form to pay the debts that William owed. Regularly, debt collectors would show up on Jane and William's front door as an attempt to arrest William. However, he was always conveniently not around. So the debt collectors would then enter the home and take any property that they thought would be worth the value of the debt they needed to pay. Eventually, the accumulation became so bad that Jane and William lost their home and were forced to vacate four blocks away. Away from money and into the books, in 1743, Franklin proposed and started the colony's first learned society, the American Philosophical Society. Now, the reason for this was because, at the time of the 18th century, though there may have been many learned men, often those who experimented and learned more did not record their information well enough for others to understand, nor did they have correspondence, so nobody had record of what was discovered. Franklin's society meant that there would be letter correspondence and sometimes meetings between these educated men, so their great scientific discoveries would be retained. At the same time, there was a movement, a religious movement, from faith and worship towards morality and deeds. Franklin often argued that your morality and the deeds you perform outweigh the faith you have. As an example, one could say that 
somebody who has never attended church but performs good deeds just out of the goodness of their heart has a better chance of salvation than those who attend church daily or weekly I mean but perform not a good deed those who seek only greed and believe only in themselves have no more chance of salvation just for attending church By the year 1748, Benjamin Franklin had retired from printing. Franklin was the largest bookseller in Philadelphia and the largest paper merchant in the colonies. Not only this, he also had scientific breakthroughs. He discovered the conservation of charge, which stated that electricity flows, but in a closed system, it just stays level. It maintains itself. Because of Franklin's scientific breakthroughs, he received multiple degrees and honorary doctorates from colleges all the way from United States, I believe, into either Scotland or Ireland. Back to the idea of child mortality being so high in the 18th century. In 1751, Benjamin Franklin wrote observations concerning the increase of mankind, peopling of countries, in which he estimated that in Europe there was an average of four births per marriage. However, in the colonies, there was an average of eight births per marriage, with a 50% survival rate. His estimations ended up being fairly close to what really happened. Being the successful man he was, Benjamin Franklin sent his prior, prior apprentices to open print shops elsewhere, such as New York and Antigua. Franklin only requested one-third of the profits from the shops. However, when Jane's son became the owner of the print shop in Antigua, he no longer requested the third profit, but that Jane's son paid Jane's rent and sent Franklin a mere small amount of sugar and rum. In Antigua, there were 300 sugar plantations and worked there about 30,000 African slaves. There were only 3,000 white men overseeing the slaves, and that works out to about one white man to 1,000 black. The African slaves were often tortured and killed. They were expendable. It's quite interesting to see how so, so few white men could control so many African slaves. But any time that they suspected conspiracy against the white owners, that is when they were tortured and killed.
Upon reviewing parts 1 and 2 of the Lepore's Book of Ages, The Life and Opinion of Jane Franklin, it is easy to understand the conditions that colonial men and women faced in attempts to establish economic and political advancements. The outlook on education was a substantial portion of the history. The records Jane Franklin Meckham and Benjamin Franklin kept grant in-depth personal understanding of life during the American Revolution.